Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how's it going tonight? Woo! Sports betting was a fantastic time uh, today here on Sunday as we're recording right now. Um, everyone's going to be listening on Monday, of course. Um, I'm doing great. Doing fantastic. Jacked up. What a day of football. I love weekends. I, I just love weekends and I love football. We are recording on Sunday night, and this is going to be uploaded bright and early Monday, which is a Bills game day, and we are going to get all into the Bills-Titans game that kicks off Monday night at 7.15. But Luca, really quick, I want to share a funny story with you. So you mentioned the crazy out-of-town scoreboard going on today in the NFL, and we'll get to that at the end of the show after we preview Bills-Titans. There was a sequence tonight where... My wife was getting dinner ready for the kids and the Texans and Broncos, the uh, Cowboys and Bengals, the Cardinals and Raiders were all coming down to the end and they were all right about the two minute warning. And I was like, hey, um, I'll be up in like five minutes. These games are all almost over. 45 minutes later, Luca, I am still not upstairs and we will talk about the sequence of those games, but Sometimes, you know, that those uh, two minute game clocks don't always uh, show you the accurate amount of time it's going to take. Yeah, uh, we'll call it tonight, especially with those four o'clock slate games. Uh, it was an NBA clock, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was. Uh, yeah, it's the final two minutes. But those final two minutes are the one obviously carries into overtime, of course. But it was. Yeah, you're looking at half hour, 40 minutes, 45 minutes. It's uh, wild endings or just crazy games in general that were a fantastic watch. But um, obviously we want to talk about one game in particular that hasn't played yet. Yeah. My wife's a trooper. And at one point she shouted downstairs, are you at least switching laundry around down there? Like make yourself useful, dude. But no, I appreciate her. But yeah, we have a uh, bills game to get into as the bills at one and O will take on the O and one Tennessee Titans who played the New York Giants at home last week and lost the game in one of the more surprising week one games. Luca, we're going to get into injuries and matchups, and we're going to talk about ways that the Bills have advantages and ways that the Bills could be in trouble if certain things play out. But just off the cuff, I just want to ask you before we get into any of it, pretty high level, what's your confidence level? How are you feeling? And the reason I ask that is if you were with us prior to us joining Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, when the schedule came out back on our Bills chat podcast um, list, we talked about how this game was actually one that we both had supreme confidence in, and that has carried up up until this week. And I just want to check in on you, Luca, take the temperature. Are you still feeling as confident and ever that the Bills will get to 2-0? and I will say that I am not as confident, in, and I don't want to say exactly like that, but just lame's terms. I'm not as confident as I was, say, a week ago when we were talking. And it's not in the sense of I don't expect the Bills to win or even win in somewhat of a handedly kind of way. It's just, yes, I think my uh, score prediction before was 31-17 when we did our preview show. And I could definitely see that score still taking place. But I believe the note I made on that scoreline was it's going to be 31-17 and even won't be that close. I will say this. This now is starting to feel more for many different reasons, or at least for something a gut feeling, we'll call it, inside of me is kind of thinking it may be a closer bit of a, you know, game where then eventually we start pulling away. Step, you know, afterwards, I don't know why that has kind of overcome me in these past 48 hours we'll call it it could be many different things 
But for some reason, I will just say, yeah, I'm not as confident. I would put my confidence, if you put it zero to 100, at around a 65, 60, 65 right now for a Bills win. And we'll say, we'll say a Bills win by a touchdown. Like, I'll put it there. Like, I'm confident for sure Bills win by a touchdown. Um, and a Bills win overall, 60 to 65, you know, out of 100. Um, so I guess you could say that's fairly confident still, especially in the NFL and, you know, just a standard in general. But a week ago, probably would have been more like 75-ish, You maybe even pushing 80. So, yeah, we've come down a little bit. Maybe it's just because we're close to kickoff. Who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll dive into everything here. And probably it'll, it might paint a better picture for me on why I kind of have come down on the temperature scale a little bit here for this game. Yeah, we'll see if we can sort through that for you. I think part of that is just the wait. You wait all offseason for a game, and then the Bills played last Thursday, and then you're waiting 11 days for the next game. This is legitimately, mathematically, the longest the Bills could go from opener until week two game, unless the Bills were to kick off an hour later because there is another Monday night game that kicks off at, I believe, 8.30 between the Minnesota Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles. But as far as days go, this is the longest amount of stretch you could have. And it it just feels like it gives you a lot of time to overanalyze. But let's introduce the opponent, the Tennessee Titans, and get into them at a high level. So they are 0-1. They lost to the New York Giants last year. But this is a team that under their current head coach, Mike Vrabel, he was hired in 2018. He has been the head coach for 18, 19, 20, 21, four years as head coach and one game so far. And he is 41 and 25 as head coach, a very impressive record. Um, 2021 AFC South champions. They were 12 and five last year. They were the one seed in the AFC. They did lose their first playoff game in round two to the Cincinnati Bengals. And last year they ranked 17th on total offense, 12th on total defense. Since Mike Vrabel has been the head coach, they have made the playoffs three out of the last four years. Now, Luca, the Titans have been an interesting team as far as consistency goes, because when you look at 2021, they lost games to the New York Jets and they lost a home game to the Houston Texans. But on their 2021 resume, they have wins over the eventual Super Bowl champion, LA Rams, the eventual NFC conference runner up San Francisco 49ers, the eventual AFC two seed Kansas City Chiefs, our Buffalo Bills, and then they also beat the Indianapolis Colts twice who missed out on the playoffs by one game. So right after that, Luke, I know we're going to talk about how their roster is different from this year to last. I think their roster has taken quite a bit of a hit since the last time the Bills saw this team, but there has to be something there built ingrained into this team. Do you think it's maybe they play up to competition, down to competition, or is this a situation where maybe they have a coach that just has a way of getting the most out of his players? I I like to believe it's more of the latter. I, I like to believe Vrabel is a quality coach and he's able to elevate a lot of his personnel out there to maybe get the most out of it, or at least a very good quality player out of them um, to fit whatever's going on and just kind of instills a nice culture uh, for this team to go out there, be competitive. And maybe, yes, there is a little bit of they play down, we'll call it to the level. I I can't I don't have another way to explain why a Titans team, especially of last season, would go on to lose to the Texans or Jets. That's a really silly thing to me. Um, they were definitely a far superior roster and team and everything in every regard. Um, but then, of course, as you had mentioned, you that checklist is very impressive. Rams, Niners, Chiefs, Bills, Colts twice like that. Those are none of those teams were anything to sneeze at, obviously. And um, 
Yeah, I, I think it's mainly coaching. I think I respect Vrabel a lot. I think what he's done with the Titans since he's been hired has been very impressive. And if anyone were to suggest anything other than accolades for what he has done since being in Tennessee, it'd be ridiculous to me. He's clearly a great head coach. Um, but yeah, maybe they just get in this tendency where they they find it hard to be motivated going into a, a, a game against the Texans or whatever it may be where it's a, they feel it's a clear lesser team in a one o'clock slate where there's nothing really to get motivated for it. But um, every team gets caught in that once in a while. I mean, the Bills have done that plenty of times as well. So you can get caught in that trap. And I'll just say I respect the coaching and why they elevate themselves more than anything else because even even though as we'll get into it the personnel may have taken a big hit this season it's not like last year they were just loaded with talent and just had everything across the board going into those games against the rams niners chiefs bills colts and were able to just outskill the other team there's clearly a coaching aspect to it all that made this team very impressive and very sturdy going into those big games against teams and coming out with a win so when you look at this roster, I think that they have significantly downgraded. We're going to get into some of the injuries they're going through now, but just based on what they put on the table this season, you look at some of the names they've lost and some of the names they've acquired since the last time these Bills faced the Titans. And really quickly, the Bills under Sean McDermott have played the Titans four times in his career. There is a two and two record against the Titans. They've played each of the last four seasons with um, the Titans actually winning the last two. 2020 was that weird COVID year where the game got moved to Tuesday um, just because of the COVID um, taking over the Titans locker room and a bunch of players weren't available for both teams. Very strange game. And then last year, the very memorable game where it was a back and forth shootout and Josh Allen slips on fourth and one. But when you look at that game from last year, here's some of the names from that game that really stood out that are no longer with the Titans. A.J. Brown, star wide receiver, was traded on draft night to the Philadelphia Eagles. They also lost Julio Jones, who was a big factor in that game. They lost two-fifths of their starting offensive line, who are now both employed by the Buffalo Bills, Roger Saffold, the Bills' starting left guard, and then the Bills' reserve tackle, David Questenberry, was the starting right tackle for the Titans last year. They lost middle linebacker Rashawn Evans, too, although when you read some of the beat reporters, that may be something where it's not that big of a loss. A, fr- a familiar face has taken over in their wide receiver room, former Buffalo Bills draft pick in 2013, second round pick Robert Woods is now essentially their number one wide receiver. And they also brought in Austin Hooper. Now, if you're thinking, okay, you just named a bunch of names they lost. And so far, all you've told me they brought in was Robert Woods and Austin Hooper. There's gotta be more, right? There really isn't. Now they did have a draft, but every team has a draft. And in that draft, They drafted four players, Luca, who are going to play prominent roles in the game on Monday night against the Bills. And I want to start this conversation there because you can look at it one of two ways. One, you can say, wow, you're going to have four rookies either starting or playing prominent roles. That's a great sign for how well you draft. Or the other way you could look at it, Luca, is if you get four rookies starting on your team or playing prominent roles for your team, does that say something about the talent level of your team? Think about realistically if the Bills could ever have four rookies step in and start right away in their current state. And we're talking about a Tennessee Titans team who was the number one seed last year. Let's go through some of these rookies. In the first round, they drafted Traylon Burks, a very high-end wide receiver. He's not technically a starter right now, 
but expect him to be more and more involved. He wasn't the um, he wasn't a starter last week. I expect his snaps to continue to increase. In the second round, they drafted Roger McCreary, who is a cornerback that Luke and I both mentioned in our pre-draft coverage. He is a starting boundary cornerback for them right now and played very well, according to PFF last week. Nicholas Petit Freer was a third round pick of the Titans, and he is going to be starting at right tackle for them tomorrow night. Struggled per PFF. Greg Cassell was on One Bills Live on Friday and said he thought he played pretty well on the right side. And then um, they also drafted Lucas guy Malik Willis. We don't anticipate seeing him at quarterback. He's more of a guy to put in the pipeline. But in the fourth round, they drafted a wide receiver named Kyle Phillips, who will be starting in the slot, led the team in snaps, targets, and receptions last week. And, and he's questionable right now on the injury report. All signs point to him playing tomorrow night. He's also their starting punt returner. Luca, when you see a situation where four rookies are going to be on the field and very involved, which way do you go with the conversation we were just having? I think I am not going to bash any of those players. I think they're all quality players and the reason that they're starting or play prominent roles other than Malik Willis, which side note, I mean, we can get into it and I'm sure we'll get into it partially. It might be beneficial for Tennessee to go to him sooner rather than later. But uh, beyond Malik Willis, those other draft picks you brought up, they're quality picks and you expect them to be a quality member of pretty much anyone's team for the most part, especially the likes of Traylon Burks and McCreary, who is awesome. And then maybe they did find this gem in Kyle Phillips. There's a reason he played the most snaps and all those kinds of things. Um, but they're playing also out of necessity. But I think... I would think that the Titans did this as an educated decision. They made a decision, especially when it comes to like trading AJ Brown, because they just flat out didn't want to pay him that it's clear as day, you know, and you can definitely question, Hey, why would you not pay a guy like AJ Brown, especially after watching what he did last week in the first week for the Eagles, it was very apparent. It's like, Hey man, like this guy's a beast. Why would you not want to pay him? And then try to just kind of run it back with another rookie of a similar, like just it, certain things you can question, but I feel like it's, it's a combination. Like, yes, the roster may have gotten worse. You had a lot of, you know, losses with the personnel and then you didn't acquire or bring in as many free agents or veterans or just players that have been around the league to fill those holes. So you filled them in the draft, but it also shows that to my knowledge and to an early season, I mean, they're rookies. We've only seen one meaningful game out of them, but they seem like quality picks. So it's kind of a combination of both. It's a good, it's a, good draft from a team that had those bad roster holes needing to be filled. And they did a great job executing, at least it seems right now, filling those holes with these rookies who will eventually or hopefully develop up and be better and good athletes are good players for them going forward for years to come potentially. And um, it's just an educated decision to me. It's, it's the Titans clearly had an off season in which they were like, and the AJ Brown one may have been more of a shock you know, decision because we all know what happened in free agency and why all of a sudden the you know wide receiver market just spiked. And then every wide receiver in the world, rightfully so, was like, hey, pay me more money. And you had the likes of AJ Brown, who's clearly one of the best in the league, you know, is up there in top 10, top 20 discussions all the time. And he was like, pay me my money. And the Titans all of a sudden needed to reverse course real quick if they didn't want to pay him and figure something out for that. Other than that, I feel like Julio Jones, Saffold, Quisenberry, all of those departures they knew of early on they you know sat down made the decisions they made and probably projected what they were going to do both in free agency and the draft months prior so it doesn't surprise me that they 
you know, and a good organization was able to target what they could in the draft and get quality players there and then did a couple other things in free agency just to fill the holes and kind of move forward. The roster may have taken a hit overall based on who left and who came back in, but I will give the Titans props and I will say this. They did a good job, it seems so far, very early in all their careers drafting and then the free agents they brought in. Yes, they're not huge names, Robert Woods, Austin Hooper and all that kind of stuff but they're at least quality NFLers. Like they're going to give you production of some level and you know what you're going to get. And it's not easy or it's not guaranteed to know what you're going to get out of a guy. So good on them to at least know they had holes, know they had needs, do what they can kind of educate themselves, get the guys that they probably targeted. I would think, especially in Traylon Burks and McCreary, I would think those two guys, they definitely targeted for a long time, got their guys. And it seems like they're going to make an impact if they haven't already and are going to moving forward. So Quality draft while trying to fill a bad roster that I'm sure they knew going into free agency in the draft was going to happen. So, yeah, overall, I'm not going to blame them, basically, is I think where I get with that. I I think the bottom line is, yeah, I'm not going to blame them for or think that they did a horrible job doing whatever they did to go from what they were last season to this season. But, you know, they took that understandable step back, but are trying to fill it for both now and the future with a little more a little more rookies than you probably would want if you're in a position to kind of win now. And, you know, as you brought up, could you imagine the Bills doing something like this when they're in a position to win now? And it seems hard to think that that's the right way to go about it. I think the last thing you brought up is the most important thing is, is what is your goal? What is your identity? Are you a team that's trying to win now? Or are you a team that kind of is reading the tea leaves? And yes, you were the number one seed last year. But when you read some of the data, some of the analytics, the analytics hated the Titans. They thought that they were a uh, paper tiger, so to speak. And that definitely played out in the playoffs. Although they, they should have beaten the Bengals. They manhandled the line of scrimmage that game. And then Ryan Tannehill just could not make a play to get them over the hump. But you look at this team, number one seed last year. They have a coach who's been coach of the year previously in his career. That was last year. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, 34 years old. Derrick Henry, 28 years old, which is very old for a running back. That is definitely on the back nine, so to speak. And it's weird when you think about trading away A.J. Brown, who is in his early 20s and a player that you would think you'd want to build the foundation of your team around. So it's hard to wrap your mind around. I can always get on board with a team being like, hey, we're going to hit the reset button. We're going to start over. And from the looks of it, I like what they've done in the draft. And a lot of these guys were guys that we had pinpointed for the needs. It just so happens that some of the needs for the Titans and the Bills lined up in the draft. Traylon Burks was a guy we talked about for the Bills. Roger McCreary was certainly a guy we talked about for the Bills. And Nicholas Petit-Freer was a guy that the Bills had shown a lot of interest in. And I think a lot of us think that they might have taken him in the third round had he been there for them. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Titans as far as the growth of this team. They're already off to an 0-1 start. And we'll see as this season goes on, Maybe if they don't go the way that they're hoping, maybe they do try to force Malik Willis in there. We will get to that. But Luca, let's review the injury report for this game as it's long for both of these teams. So for the Titans, already down Harold Landry, who is a star pass rusher. He was put on IR before the season started. His season is over. And then Elijah Molden, who is a second year nickelback, who I am really high on. He is on short term IR, so he is going to miss two more games after the Bills game. So they're already down two very key pieces on defense. Christian Fulton, their starting cornerback, is ruled out with a hamstring injury. So now they're down two of their three starting cornerbacks. Dontrell Hilliard, who is um, Derrick Henry's direct backup at running back, but he is much more of a scat back, a weapon out of the backfield. 
he is ruled out with a, with a hamstring injury. And then um, who else is ruled out for them? They have Jamarco Jones, who is just a backup. I don't think he's consequential to them. And then Kyle Phillips, the wide receiver we mentioned earlier, punt returner. He is questionable, but it seems like he's trending toward playing. And then from the Bills side, they're not without injuries of their own. Starting cornerback Dane Jackson is questionable with a knee injury that popped up in practice. He did fully participate on Saturday, and he told reporters he is going to play. The Bills will be without two of their interior defensive linemen and Ed Oliver and Tim Settle. Ed Oliver has already been ruled out. Tim Settle is doubtful. I think you can go ahead and count him as out, even though he did get in a limited practice on Saturday. And then a late-in-the-week injury popped up, which is never good, Luca. Uh, Gabe Davis got in a limited practice on Saturday. He is questionable with an ankle injury. NFL Network has reported that he is on the doubtful side of questionable and that it was a non-contact ankle injury. And that is something that anytime you see a non-contact injury, it makes you nervous. I'm totally in favor of sitting Gabe Davis, sitting anybody in this game if they're close. But Luca, these are important names for the Bills. When you talk about Davis, you talk about Oliver, you talk about Settle. Is this part of the reason that you're starting to feel some angst about this game? It's one of the variables for sure. I mean, injuries are never good. You don't want to be without your key guys. Ed Oliver, Tim Settle, and Gabe Davis. You talked about all three of them. Those are big names to be missing a game. But overall, I'm with you in the sense of if you have a guy, it's week two. If you have a guy that is clearly on the doubtful side of things, rest him. The goal is not to win this week two game when the season ends. The goal is to, you know, play in the last game of the season and win it. And in all reality, you can't you can't lose the season in week two, right? You can't win it either, but you can't lose it. And that's the overall point where, yes, this is a big game. It, you know, it's a home opener. Anyone that thinks otherwise than to sit these guys, I'll hear you out. But overall, you don't want to risk anything bigger with these players, all three of those guys, especially by just trying to stretch them and see if you can get 10 snaps out of them, see if you get 15 snaps, whatever, you know, whatever the situation may be. You don't want to risk that and risk something further because of it due to just this one game. That would be, in my opinion, a big mistake. Um, the non-contact ankle injury for Gabe Davis, I get a little scared, but at the same time, I always wonder. So <laughs> it's a weird example, but um, you know, this is not the NFL. This is beer league hockey. But I was out skating on these uh, nice, it was just a weird thing that my head went to when I, when I heard about it initially, and this is how I feel about it. I had a game on a Monday. Felt great. Everything's good. No shoulder injuries, all that kind of stuff. I went out for a skate with my, you know, trainers and stuff. And I'm, I'm going out there. I went to get up and I accidentally slipped a little bit, jammed my, my right finger bad and also rolled my ankle a little bit. And all of a sudden I went from the mindset of, I was going to be playing in 36 hours to, am I even going to be able to drive a vehicle in 36 hours because it hurt that bad. And luckily a day of rest healed up things enough where I could, but it, it became a thing where it was non, you know, it's just a freak thing happened. It was minor, but it was enough to put a doubt in my head where I knew I needed to rest for a day. And maybe Gabe Davis's situation, maybe he rolled his ankle, we'll call it, or something like that. Hopefully it's nothing too, too bad. I feel like it wouldn't be a questionable tag. You know, it's interesting that they put out the note that it was non-contact, but I feel like you wouldn't be a questionable tag now sitting here days, you know, a day later 
we would have heard something if it was more major than just potentially we'll call it a rolled ankle or something of that variety rather than what we saw with Trey Lance later, you know, earlier today or something of more major uh, issues. So I'm nervous about it. I'm worried about it. It sucks for this game. But overall, when it comes to a season, um, I'm not overly concerned as Gabe Davis. I saw some people freaking out just because of the unknown. And yes, the unknown unknown can be scary. But I feel like in 24 hours now at this point, we would have learned something greater. Um, the But for going back into this game, it stinks. This is definitely something that you can highlight, look back at, and be like, these are key people to miss. And maybe the reason of why it'll be a one-score game, a coin flip game, whatever you want to call it all of a sudden, and why the confidence came down. But, you know, you went you went through that and it's like we're a deep roster. We're a deep team. We have and especially at the defensive line. This gives other, you know, other players more opportunity, whatever it may be and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure you're going to dive into it. So I want to wrap up real quick. So overall, it affected my, you know, uh, confidence in this game a little bit. But I don't think it was everything to do with the injuries. I don't think the reason all of a sudden I went down, as we said, a 75 to a 65 was just purely based off of injuries. I, I feel like there was more to it, but it definitely played its factor. You know, those are big names to be missing a game where, especially you're coming up against Derrick Henry. You kind of want all the big guys in there as much as possible, especially someone that we brought in for games like this in the sense of Tim Settle. We know what Ed Oliver can do and everything, but Tim Settle was brought in to be a big boy up the middle and eat stuff up. It's going to be a bit of a loss, but we have a we have a deep roster, especially at the D line, and then there's other points to it where I'm not overly concerned just because these few guys are missing the game. Yeah, I I think defensive line is probably the Bills' deepest position, and maybe even into that uh, defensive tackle specifically. So if there was a position early in the year that you could withstand a couple injuries to guys like Oliver and Settle, that would be it. You mentioned Derrick Henry. That is a challenge. You don't want to be without some of your interior guys against a guy like Derrick Henry. You can take over a game. But you got Daquan Jones, who was brought in to be that big nose tackle. You have Jordan Phillips, who absolutely popped last week. Um, I think they're going to be fine as far as their starting defensive tackles in this game. We know the Bills like to rotate, so what is that going to look like? I would anticipate tomorrow Brandon Bryant gets elevated from the practice squad and is active for the game. I think Brandon Bryant is a guy who is quality enough to be on somebody's 53-man roster, and this could be a double-edged sword where he gets on the field, plays well against the Titans, goes back down to the practice squad, and then gets claimed by somebody before he ever gets to play for the Bills again. I also think you'll see a situation where I know the Bills have another defensive tackle on their practice squad, but I would more anticipate that they just dress Shaq Lawson. We know him and Boogie Basham both have the flexibility to play inside. He's a guy with starting experience. And when you think about that role that Ed Oliver plays, that three technique, someone like Basham and, and Lawson can really handle snaps from in there. We know Rousseau can rush on the inside if he needs to. I think that the Bills will be fine in that regard. They're going to lose some of their oomph on their rotation because when you can bring in fresh legs like Tim Settle and Jordan Phillips, when Ed Oliver and Daquan Jones need a spell, that is a huge advantage that is not going to be there for the Bills this game. I think what you have to hope for, Luca, and this is where I, I kind of want to turn my attention now to the Titans defense, dealing with the loss of a Harold Landry, dealing with the fact that they're going to be without Elijah Molden and Christian Fulton, and they're going to be starting Caleb Farley, who's working his way back from an injury, didn't play a full set of snaps last week. They're going to be starting a rookie in Roger McCreary. I think what the Bills have to hope for and what I'm anticipating happening in this game, quite honestly, 
is the Bills to get their points. The Bills are going to, in my opinion, not have a huge struggle scoring points on this Titans team. Now, look, turnovers can happen. A guy like Jeffrey Simmons can certainly take this game over on his own. That It's all within the possibility. It's the NFL. We know weird stuff happens. But I think if you were to simulate this game a thousand times, I think the majority of it would be that the Bills probably score over 30 points. And by the time that the Bills get to 30 points, you can really take your interior defensive tackles out of the game plan because at some point the Titans are going to have to throw to keep up. And I don't think this is a team that's built to keep up with the Bills in a shootout. I think, Luca, that if I'm the Bills developing a defensive game plan for this Titans team, I'm keeping it all short, all in front of me, and I'm going to say, hey, if you can beat me deep with Robert Woods or Westbrook or Tannehill throwing to Traylon Burks, great. Congratulations. But it's all going to be short. It's all going to be in front of me. And it's going to be, we're not going to let Derrick Henry get loose. We're not going to let your receivers get loose. And um, that would be my strategy going against Todd Downing, who I want to have a conversation about now. He is in his second year as Titans offensive coordinator, taking over for Arthur Smith, who left last year to go coach the Atlanta Falcons. And Luca, he is a major topic of conversation in Tennessee this week and this offseason because this offense has absolutely regressed since Todd Downing took over. In 2021, the Titans had less total yards under Todd Downing in his first year than they had under Arthur Smith in 2020, despite the fact that the that the season got expanded by one game. So in 17 games, Todd Downing's offense couldn't even gain as many yards as Arthur Smith's offense did in 16 games. You just look at some of the side-by-side yardage comparisons. Um, under Arthur Smith, 6.2 yards per play. Under Todd Downing, 5.1 yards per play. They dropped from fourth in 2020 in total offense to 15th. So these are huge regressions. And one of the major regressions was Ryan Tannehill. We saw Ryan Tannehill a lot in Miami, and he was never a great quarterback by any means. He was actually kind of a run-of-the-mill journeyman quality quarterback who had one or two decent years, but really was always that quarterback you're looking to replace. When he came to Tennessee and took over for Marcus Mariota in 2019, he put up a quarterback rating of 117.5, got a big contract extension, and followed it up in 2020 with a quarterback rating of 106.5. Under Todd Downing in 2021, Ryan Tannehill dipped to a quarterback rating of 89.6, which mirrors the seasons he had in Miami. Luca, we had we talked a little bit about this on our Titans um, Rivals Watch series with Ryan Tannehill. I know neither one of us consider him an elite quarterback, but I think he's a quarterback that if you have the right play caller and the right system around him, you can make him look better than what he is. I think we're going to see some of that with Kirk Cousins this year with Minnesota. When you talk about taking away A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and now having an offensive coordinator in Todd Downing, who league-wide is not considered one of the better play callers in the league, is this a situation where you think Ryan Tannehill is going to fall off fast? Or do you think maybe he can still squeeze some juice out and, and be a productive NFL quarterback with the surroundings around him? Ryan Tannehill plummeting in production, I don't think is something I anticipate. I just think Ryan Tannehill is kind of hitting his limit a little bit lower with this current offense than what he was seeing with Arthur Smith. And this is more, honestly, uh, uh, we'll call it um, an appreciation for Arthur Smith. 
I think Arthur Smith was able to elevate a player such as Ryan Tannehill and others in that offense to such a height that it justifies even the more Ryan Tannehill plays. This point just came to my head. The more Ryan Tannehill plays and gives this output that we're seeing, the more it justifies the Falcons going out there and hiring Arthur Smith. It just shows that he was really good at elevating in average to above average quarterback, as you said, in the right system with the right tools around him and the right play calling, he can be a very good quarterback. We'll call it, but the more Ryan Tannehill plays now, it shows that that's what it takes to make him that very good quarterback or else you're just going to get average at best play. Well, average play, not at best, you know, he can still maybe do something for you. Um, But it kind of leads me more into the, the Titans that we saw last season and what we just saw in week one are kind of pointing to me where they need a guy who can create a little bit more. And that's where Malik Willis is really. I mean, if I was Malik, I'd be in the ear of Todd Downing every game like, hey, coach, why don't you put some package of plays in for me? Hey, coach, you know, let me see the field a little bit. Why don't you give me first team reps? See what can happen. You want to almost show him, hey, I might be able to take your offense and elevate it a little bit more with some creativity, some, you know, dynamic play that he can provide you um but also it might just be that Todd Downing is just not that good of a play caller comparatively to Arthur Smith you know maybe Todd Downing uh is a little bit more on the predictable side maybe he is just a guy that doesn't have a better feel for how to use this offense and when to do certain things you know they um I I believe you have it in here in the notes that they led the league in first down run percentage last season and it's just that's that's not good like I'll be honest, you don't want to ever be predictable. Why would you ever want to be predictable? You don't want the other team to know what's going on or at least have a gut feeling that, hey, 60-something percent of the time, I don't know what the percentage is, of course, but 61% of the time, they like to run it. So, hey, on first downs, even a team that likes to play too high, let's try to figure out creative ways to stack the box or just keep eyes on Derrick Henry as much as we can. And on first down, just force them to be creative and do something different because, it the numbers clearly show that they're going to run it most likely in this case. So let's just plan on that. And then if they do beat us a play here and there on first down, so be it. We were well within our means to justify why we're doing what we're doing. That's not a good place for a Titans offense to be. It's the, the one point that you brought up that the fact an offense with one less game put up more total yards than uh, the last season team is just scary to me though. That definitely shows that there's a regression everywhere, whether it's play calling Tannehill, every it's, it's everywhere. I think Tannehill is eventually going to keep regressing slowly. We'll call it. And there will be that breaking point. It's if you're a Titans fan, you are happy. Malik Willis is sitting there because there will be a breaking point. It could come this season could come after this season. I don't know when it is me personally. I'd put it, you know, week eight at best, you know, or at latest, but, um, there's going to be a point where you, you realize Ryan Tannehill as a starter in this offense is no more is not going to provide anything to get you regular wins. So we need to do something different. And we have this beautiful, a little bit rough, beautiful gem sitting here in Malik Willis. And let's just see what we got and let's roll it because we trust this guy in the future potentially. And let's see what we got, because that's again, if it were me. I would be like one eye on him and be like, Hey, just make sure you, you know, you're ready. Make sure there's going to be a point where we're going to probably pull you in here. And, and maybe that's already been discussed. Let's just put that out there. Last point. Maybe that's already out there. Maybe they are going into the season with Ryan Tannehill. They knew they had, they had the giants. They have us 
now coming up to you know Monday night. And then there's a target that they're already looking at for Malik Willis because they recognized what we're discussing here, that there is a regression occurring and Ryan Tannehill is not going to be much uh, you know, of much value to them going forward, even in the near future. So it, it may be the writing's already on the wall for him, but it's clearly there that we can see. And he's not exactly someone that I feel a great threat of going into the game against the Titans. That's for sure. If I'm anyone on the Bills defensive staff or, you know, I'm a defensive player, I am not threatened by Ryan Tannehill. I can tell you that. That's for sure. So I know we both listen to the Rich Eisen podcast and one of his frequent guests is Daniel Jeremiah, who is one of the draft wizards. And he has a theory about quarterbacks. He calls it the truck versus trailer theory. And essentially the quarterbacks that are trucks, which are the quarterbacks that pull the rest of the team with them, they're good enough to do that. That would be your Josh Allen's, your Pat Mahomes, your elite Aaron Rodgers level quarterbacks, your Tom Brady's. And the trailers, or are they need a nice truck to carry them along? And if if they have a nice truck, then they'll be just fine rolling alongside. And that is what Ryan Tannehill is. And this Titans team, as we've talked about with Todd Downing, we've talked about with the losses of A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. We're going to get into what their offensive line is not a very good offensive line. This is not a very nice truck. So for a guy like Ryan Tannehill, the conversation is going to mirror somewhat of what we talked about with Case Keenum. Hey, don't worry about Case Keenum when he's out there with the Bills twos playing against starters from a different team because that's not the situation he's going to be in and that's not a situation he can excel in. Ryan Tannehill is not going to excel in a situation where he has to carry an inferior team to victory over a superior team. That's just not his game. Can it happen in a one-off scenario? Sure, it's football. The, any team can beat any team on any given Sunday. I know it's the oldest cliche in the book, but we all saw the Jacksonville game last week. But this is all about what is most likely to happen, and that's where I come in very confident on this game. So we've talked about the lack of weapons. We've talked about Ryan Tannehill's regression. Let's talk about Derrick Henry because he is certainly a very scary player in this league. He's a bell cow running back. He really is a one-of-one one when you look at his athletic attributes. He's 28 years old. He had three touchdowns in the game against the Bills last year, although a lot of it was based on his production was on one 75-yard run. Where you, If you want to be petty about it, I like to be petty. Um, you could say that there was a lot of holding calls on that play that should have brought the play back, but he did have a very productive night. However, Luca, that game was in the middle of October of 2020. That is the last time that Derrick Henry played in a professional football game and averaged more than four yards per carry. Now, he got hurt a couple games later, missed a good chunk of the season, but he has not in the playoffs. Week one against the Giants, who were, by the way, not a great run defense. Christian McCaffrey just went for over 100 over them today. Um, he has not averaged over four yards per carry in a game since the Bills game. And four yards per carry, by the way, is not any kind of impressive benchmark. It's more of kind of like the baseline of a, if, if a running game was effective. Does that surprise you to read that about Derrick Henry? A little bit. I, I did not know that. Uh, that is surprising. As you pointed out, he did get injured a couple, you know, games later. But still, I mean, Derrick Henry is always a guy that you look at highlight. You know, he's the guy you circle on the board, that classic cliche. He's the one if you're game, if you're a defensive staff in the NFL and you play, come against the Titans objective number one, two and three. Even when Tannehill was having great years, it still was objectives one, two, and three where we need to have an answer for Derrick Henry. And it's not exactly like he's over the hill at this point age wise. So it is surprising that that was the last time he was over four yards per carry. 
Um, I will also add, I, you know, you mentioned the Giants game and it's not like the Giants run defense. Derrick Henry has always had this thing where he never comes out hot out of the gates. I think that's more of a thing. He doesn't play preseason. They, they kind of preserve him and stuff. I think the last preseason he played was over five you know seasons ago. So there is kind of that factor to it. I do think it takes the Cardinals game last season. I remember watching that just going Derrick Henry looks like a shell of himself, but it also seems it's just like a lot of rust. Um, maybe that factors into those week one outings. Uh, you never know, but, um, definitely surprising that he hasn't done four yards per carry since then. And, um, I still, I am with you too, by the way, I don't, I like to be petty is an interesting way to put it. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's a life philosophy for you. Uh, <laughs> I but, pride myself on being petty, Yeah, but, um, yeah, I, it is, it is healthy to be petty about that once, you know, that one big run he had, there were definitely some holds there. I'm not going to, I personally am not in the world of like, oh my God, I still cannot believe that they didn't call those. Like, Hey, missed holds get, you know, they happen every play. If you really want to think about it, offensive line play, there is probably a hold every snap. People need to realize that. Like they pointed out all the time. Can't believe they didn't call that hold on that left guard. It's like, dude, like you, if you slow down every snap, I'm sure you can pinpoint a hold. It's going to happen. Um, it stinks, but you know, we move forward, we move on everything, whatever. Um, overall, yeah, Derrick Henry is still a concern. I, this is, that's all I want to kind of point out with Derrick Henry. This is me. You can throw all the numbers at me. You can do, you can tell me what his trends are. You can do all that stuff. Is he progressing? Is he regressing? What is going on with Derrick Henry until Derrick Henry shows me just clear and day that he doesn't have what he has physically anymore, which he still hasn't because he's barely been playing since that bills game last that we saw and dissected every run of. Um, I'm still going to believe that he is objective one, two, and three, maybe even four this year to stop. And he is the big threat. He is the big problem. He is a clear path to losing. If you do not keep Derrick Henry tamed, he is, he's that guy. He's probably going to be that guy for the entire league. Not even just this season, but still this season and next season moving forward, barring anything else, you know, happy and injury wise on his career. So Yeah. I don't care what his numbers say. I don't care if he's trending downwards. I don't know what is going on. He is a problem. He is a one of one. I think McDermott even said he's a once in a lifetime running back and there's a reason for it. And he is a problem. Let me just say that for the you know billionth time in this point, Derrick Henry's a problem. And uh, hopefully we just have, you know, five, all 11 eyes, all 11 eyes on defense every time on him. I don't suck in on play action. Hopefully if you got a job elsewhere, but, Let's just say everyone needs to have at least one eye on Derrick Henry every snap. Well, when you look at the game last year, what really bit the bills in the second half of the game was when they did get the run game going after that 75 yard touchdown run, the bills became so concerned about the run. They sucked up on the run and it was play action pass, AJ Brown play action pass Julio Jones. And the bills had no answers because they could not guard those guys one-on-one in those situations. You leave your DBs one-on-one because everybody else is trying to stop the run. I don't think that'll be a problem this time around because one, they don't have the separators they had last year. Robert Woods is not a separator at this point in his career. He's not a deep threat either. I love me some Bobby trees, but he is not the player we remember having in Buffalo. Neither is Westbrook. Uh, Traylon Burks is an interesting player, interesting skill set. I'm I'm very intrigued to see what happens with his NFL career. Neither Luca nor I were as high as I would say the consensus was on him coming out as a prospect. But keep in mind, we're looking through these prospects primarily through the lens of the Bills 
And Traylon Burks did not scream to me as a player that could come in right away and help this team. So maybe that has something to do with it. He was a little raw, um, but I'm not concerned really at all about the weapons, about the Titans. They're going to make their plays. They're NFL players, but there's no game breaker on that side of the ball outside of Derrick Henry. And let's talk about the offensive line. We've talked about Tim Settle. We've talked about Ed Oliver. That could make Bill's fans panic a little bit thinking about this matchup. I will tell you, Luca, I still think that the Bill's defensive line against the Tennessee Titans offensive line is a matchup the Bills should not only win, they should borderline dominate. Now, we already talked about Nicholas Petit-Freer. He's an impressive third-round rookie starting his second game in the NFL. That's great. If he gets lined up on Von Miller, I'm taking Von Miller every single time. He gets lined up on Greg Rousseau, give me Greg Rousseau. Taylor Luan on the other side, he's a guy that's a big name in this league. He's made Pro Bowls. He's been an all-pro player. Greg Cassell brought up specifically on One Bill's Live. I just pronounced his name wrong. Greg Cosell. Brought up specifically on One Bills Live on Friday, Taylor Lewan has not looked like that all-pro player for two years. He is not a high-end tackle anymore. He's very beatable. So if you get a situation where Vaughn is one-on-one with Luan, I, I would take Vaughn one-on-one with most tackles at this point in time, but especially someone like Luan who doesn't have that recovery speed maybe he had early in his career, I think Vaughn can maybe expose him with some of the pass rush moves he has in his arsenal. And I understand that Settle... And Oliver being out is intimidating, but the Bills' depth of Jordan Phillips and Daquan Jones should be able to eat the inside of this interior offensive line. Aaron Brewer is a 270-pound guard for the Titans who is an undrafted free agent from 2020. Good luck, Aaron Brewer, blocking a motivated, angry Jordan Phillips who knows that the bright lights are on him and he plays motivated anytime he gets a chance to shine for the Bills. Luca, I think the Bills are going to make their plays against the Titans offensive line. I think they're going to dominate that matchup. Maybe you'll see some effects of when they rotate in guys like Brandon Bryant and Shaq Lawson on the interior that maybe they're not as effective as they would be if they had Settle and Oliver at their disposal. But overall, I personally am expecting the Bills to be able to control the run game with their defensive line without having to overcommit the back seven to it. And if they do overcommit, I don't expect the bills to pay like they did last year because of the lack of weapons. Yeah, I would agree with both of those points. Both of those last points you just made there, I would hundred percent agree. I, I believe this defensive line is built more for these games. I mean, there was a clear objective with this defensive line. And when they went out and signed individuals, of course, we talked about, you know, one of them, Tim Settle, who won't be playing in this game, which would have been nice. But again, you point out the depth as well with Daquan Jones, Jordan Phillips coming back to Buffalo, stuff of that nature. And you can say what you want about Jordan Phillips in the run game specifically and how maybe he doesn't like to look at running backs as much as he should. I know that knock is on him and it's, it's got tape to back it up a little bit, but he's motivated, right? And he just wants to be a killer. And maybe this team now is in a place where his eye, you know, he was motivated before in the Jordan Phillips, we remember from prior, you know, experience here where yes, he was motivated to be the bills and he was a great player for the bills, but also he was trying to bring himself up in the league. But now he realizes the bills are in a certain position as a team and organization where the standards are a little higher and the results matter more. And what we're trying to do here is far greater than what he remembers the last time he was a bill. And I definitely think the play we've seen out of him already in one week shows that he understands what's going on. He's still the same guy we know. He's still a menace. 
But I think that knock on him in the run game may have gone away a little bit because there's a little more uh, backing in this organization to be like, hey, maybe they could talk to him a little bit. Like, you just need you to do your do- job a little bit better in the run game, let's say. Maybe they've addressed that. Who knows? But yeah, Daquan Jones, I do the, I didn't know that Aaron Brewer was only 270 pounds. Holy mackerel. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's definitely a guy I would imagine you target with size and be you know try to dominate physically because it's clearly there. Like Daquan Jones lined up on Aaron Brewer. Mm. Holy crap. Sign me up. <laughs> wow we could see a legitimate body on the offensive line get tossed maybe once or twice um yeah i do think those kinds of things come into play here though yes as you said our defensive line is in a position where the linebacking core and the secondary may not have to have both eyes in the backfield as much as they did last year and now it's that one eye concept i brought up maybe with the linebackers and then the secondary just does their job just in case that front seven or you know front six and Taryn get a little bit bit in there on a play action or whatever it is that they can just limit the big play capabilities more than last season i think both those points you brought up were spot on i definitely think that it is a place that i agree with you as well this defense i mean i just go back to it this defensive line was built with this kind of game in mind and was built deep enough with this game in mind even if one or two guys were missing um yeah i would I would expect us to win the line of scrimmage. That's for sure. I I would expect, uh, you know, not every snap. You can't win every snap. You can't win every game, that whole concept. But overall, when you look at the the broad picture, this is definitely one where I would imagine we're going to take advantage of this situation a little bit more, especially comparing it to last year's game. So we've had a good conversation about what it's going to look like when the Bills defense is out there against the Titans offense. Let's flip the field now and talk about when the Bills offense is out there against the Titans defense. And Luca, we have to start with the Gabe Davis injury. Let's just go on the assumption that Gabe Davis is not going to play. If he plays, it's a bonus and we'll all be super excited. But let's just talk about what does that look like if Gabe Davis doesn't play. For a point in time this offseason, we were under the impression that if Davis or Dig sustained an injury, it would be Jake Kumaro, who is the first off the bench at that boundary receiver. And then what we saw over the course of the summer was the emergence of guys like Isaiah Hodgins, who is still around on the practice squad. We saw the emergence of um, Khalil Shakir, who showed the ability to back up both on the outside and on the inside. And then we also saw guys like Isaiah McKenzie play on the outside in that Bronco preseason game when the Bills starters played, when Diggs came off the field, it wasn't Shakir who came in on the boundary. It was Isaiah McKenzie who went to the boundary and it was Crowder to the slot. What do you anticipate being the Bills plan at boundary receiver if Davis doesn't play? And I guess my second part question is, do you think it'll be one person? Because I'm sitting here thinking that it may not just be simply move McKenzie outside, move Crowder inside, and you're good to go. I think it's going to be kind of a paint by numbers scenario where it's like, hey, this drive, you're in this drive. Let's see what works. Let's spend the first quarter finding out what's working, and then we'll we'll go from there. It's going to be a play and package situation, I would imagine. So I guess that's me agreeing with you. Look Um, at that. We're agreeing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to just be boring here and agree with every point you make, but Josh, hey, we are not Skip Bayless. We don't have to disagree just for the sake of <laughs> yeah. it. We can we can certainly agree. I can be Skip Bayless, but no, we don't have to do that. <laughs> I um, take his paycheck. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I'm agreeing with you in a little bit of a different mindset. But yeah, overall, it's like playing package situation. I feel like it's going to be you know replaced by 
okay, we're going to run this personnel here and we want to have you on the outside for this or whatever it may be, right? It's McKenzie's probably going to see some outside time. Maybe they do activate Shakir because he was a healthy scratch last week and they try to see what they got a little bit in certain situations with him. Who knows, right? It, it, this is kind of a coin flip. If Gabe Davis is not playing, which obviously all signs point to that kind of being the case, it's probably going to be more. Diggs is going to be leaned on a little bit more, which I don't know how you do that at this point. He's pretty much the go-to guy still. But um, Diggs is going to obviously see as many snaps as he can physically, and then you just kind of work the personnel around that and see what you got with Shakir McKenzie out wide. Um, whoever, maybe Kumaro does see a couple more snaps outside because you want him out there for whatever you're trying to achieve with that. It, we don't know. I don't think there's a kind of a clear cut sign, like you said, where it's going to be, yes, it's definitely going to be, you know, Crowder or McKenzie or Shakir just outside the whole time to replace that Davis production. It's going to be definitely a committee approach here where depending on what the call comes in as, who knows? Maybe they just want to do something more where it's, you know, Knox and Quentin Morris out there at the same time. You know, it, it, maybe they'll just explore those kinds of packages and those plays a little bit more. It's it's kind of a coin flip to me. It's kind of a toss up. I, I have no idea what direction they're going to go, especially being that what we saw in one game this season so far, Davis was an integral piece of it and he was out there a lot. So we don't really have anything to reference off of in this circumstance. But just speculating it, I do think they're going to go down that route that you and I have brought up because the only thing we have to show for that is preseason and how they handled that kind of stuff with play calling, which again, play calling in preseason also is completely different than play calling in the regular season. You're not going to show anything, put anything on tape really that you want out there before a season even starts. So you, you know, take that with a grain of salt how you want. But um, we saw them kind of rotate, see what they got, see what they're going to do. And in a situation like this, why would they change that? Why would they make it any different? Because if anything, it, it was it worked pretty well in the past. McKenzie out wide, we've seen, you know, in New England last season and stuff of that nature. But then we also saw some quality production out of Shakir on the outside with what we had in preseason. And if the defense doesn't know what they're going to get out of these players, that's only an advantage for us anyways. So overall, I, I don't say you want Gabe Davis out there. You want your best guys out there, but I don't necessarily view this as much of a negative as I feel like you would just on paper. I, I think this is just something where you change the game plan a little bit. You, you tinker the play calls and whatever to the personnel a little bit more, but other than that, just, you know, drive the ship kind of deal. Just let's keep this thing a going. And it's important to remember that they are very inexperienced on the defensive side of the ball at cornerback. They're going to have a rookie cornerback starting and a second year cornerback starting and a guy that they traded for in August starting at Nickelback. It is a bunch of youth out there. We both like Caleb Farley quite a bit. He is not ready to stick to Stefan Diggs at this point in his career. So it's really a situation where if the Titans want to take away Diggs, if that's their goal, they're going to have to dedicate more than one player to him. I think most teams would have to at this point in his career, the way that Diggs and Allen are. But to me, Luca, this is a Knox game. This is the situation where, you know, we, we know that McKenzie and Crowder and, you know, maybe even Singletary out of the backfield or Quentin Morris or Reggie Gilliam, those guys are all capable of stepping up and making plays and having games. But to me, when you look at the core of this Bills team and the core of the offensive weapons, there's three names. There's Diggs, there's Davis, and there's Knox. Diggs and Knox have already been paid. Knox got the big contract for the tight end. This is the kind of game where if the Titans want to dedicate their resources to taking away digs, we need Knox to be a difference maker. I expect him to have a big game. 
I also am very interested to see what the Bills do running the ball. Last week, Saquon Barkley averaged nine yards per carry against this Titans run defense. Now look, nobody is saying that the Bills have a running back on their roster on the athletic level of a Saquon Barkley. We understand that doesn't exist on this roster, but the looks that the Bills get in the running game are much more favorable than a Giants team that when you're facing them, you know there's really only one guy on that side of the ball you have to worry about. So the Bills are going to see a lot of too high situations and non-stacked boxes and clean running lanes. I think this is a game where Singletary can get, can get off, maybe get off early. I want to see James Cook active. I think his speed can be very useful. And if you're talking about somebody that could be an added dimension in the passing game being down Gabe Davis, I really want to see what James Cook can offer in that regard because I like some of the things I saw from Zach Moss last week, Luca, but some of the routes he was running when he was split out wide, I was thinking, man, it'd be kind of cool to see our second round explosive toy out there running those instead of the plotting Zach Moss. Um. You could probably chalk that up to the fumble that he lost and maybe McDermott just didn't want to give him as many snaps as he went into the game thinking he would do or, or, you know, Dorsey thought he was going to do. We'll just chalk it up to that because, yes, I would I would agree this. This is definitely something that we I would like to see James Cook get a little more involved. I don't think he's in the doghouse beyond last week's game. Um, Yeah, Zach Moss. He looks fine. He looks he looks like Zach Moss, but he's not going to provide any. dynamic play for you at all he's a great (laughs) this is such a horrible thing to say but he's a good guy to bring in when everyone else just needs to catch their breath real quick like (laughs) he's he's not going to exactly lose it for you but he ain't going to do anything special for you Mm -hmm. so if singletary and cook need a break and you just need that guy to fill that gap real quick yeah here's zach moss for you for two three plays thank you very much thanks for maybe taking one hand off for three four yards and getting us back to our weapons of more dynamic nature yeah that's that's kind of where he is yeah i would like to see james cook a little bit more involved i'm not going to go out here and call it because i don't ultimately know i don't think he would be in that doghouse anymore maybe he is maybe maybe that fumble kind of spurned him for another game and it's a big game under the lights again and they just want to kind of keep him uh, you know keep him a little bit i don't even know how to put it like don't put him in another spotlight situation where then he could fumble again. And now all of a sudden the national narrative, or at least the media perceives him as a fumble risk. Not that look, Adrian Peterson also was a fumble risk early in his career. And well, he was basically a fumble risk his entire career, but early on, especially, and things worked out. Okay. So it's not exactly something that he should get bent over shape, bent out of shape over, but um, yeah, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I would love to see it. I know you would love to see it as you brought it up, but let's just limit Zach Moss's utilization as much as possible because he's not going to provide anything over the top or anything special for you. And ultimately you would like something that could threaten that special, make a guy miss, get 12 yard gain out of it on the ground. Like we need that guy and Singletary of course can be that guy, but then even in the receiving game out of the backfield, that's James Cook's job. That's, that's what he is here for. And hopefully that kind of, maybe that can kickstart come Monday night against the Titans. The Titans defense is definitely not without their studs. Jeffrey Simmons might be the second best defensive tackle in the entire sport, only next to Aaron Donald, who we saw last week. 
Their defense is also built similar to the Bills, where they are led by their two safeties. They have Kevin Byard, who is widely considered one of the best safeties in football, and Amani Hooker, who is an up-and-coming safety who just got a big contract extension. So what they do on the back end, plus what Simmons can do on the front end, can create havoc for you. I don't think that this is a matchup, Luca, that the Bills' offense should lose, but this is certainly a matchup where they have enough studs on that side of the ball where I could see if you're going to talk about creating the path to the Bills losing this game. To me, there's not a real straight-up path where unless there's something wonky that happens, I think the Bills are probably going to win and win comfortably. We'll get into predictions here in a bit. But I could see a situation where a Jeffrey Simmons makes a splash play or a Kevin Byard comes up with a big interception. To me, the path for the Titans is going to be turnovers and then running game on offense. That They got to keep it close. They, it's almost like the Steelers game from last year where – The Bills do enough to shoot themselves in the foot, keep the game close, and then the Titans get one of those splash plays when they certainly have enough splash players on defense to make those plays. But we talked about Simmons up front. When it comes to the edge, they are really missing Harold Landry. Their best pass rusher right now is Bud Dupree, whose best years are behind him. PFF grades him as a marginal starter. They do not have the most athletic linebackers. That's why I really do want to see James Cook out there trying to create some mismatches. And I am curious to see what they do with their safeties. Um, I would like to see Devin Singletary and maybe James Cook get going early. I'll be curious to see if they try to run Josh Allen this game. Um, I, I assume that would be in their arsenal, maybe not something they lean on first drive, but we'll see if that's something they want to break out if they start struggling early on. Luca, uh, we talked about the offense versus the defense. We talked about the defense versus the offense. Uh, we're going to go into predictions here in a second, but I'm coming away from the in-depth preview we've done thinking advantage Bills defense against Titans offense, advantage Bills offense against Titans defense. Are you with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like overall, injuries are injuries. Both sides have them. We talked about that obviously before even the breakdowns between offense versus defense, defense versus offense. Um each team's I I will re- real quick like Yes, as you pointed out, if the Bills start shooting themselves in the foot, if Bayard becomes the ball hawk that he can be and stuff of that nature, yeah, we can't be doing what we did in the first half against the Rams all of a sudden by turning the ball over three times. And the Titans can punish you for doing that. They did it to, well, the Rams in L.A. last season. Different team, as we discussed as well, certainly, but Kevin Byard was a part of that. And this defense was, you know, there were people that were on this defense and a key part of this defense last season that are still there here. Kevin Byard, one more time, he is one of those guys. Um, But overall, yes, the Bills offense should be able to handle what they're going to get thrown at them from the defense. And then this Bills defense should be able to handle and contain and be able to limit Derrick Henry and the Titans offense enough where the matchups both kind of favor the Bills in a regard where I don't know by what margin, although we'll get into a prediction of what I think, but they should be able to win both sides and ultimately, and then special teams don't let's not forget the third facet of the, you know, football, the special teams, you know, we'll call it 50, 50 cause it's special teams, but that is matters too. But um, yeah, the bills favor both sides of the ball. And overall that would be why I would imagine a vast majority of people should be expecting the bills to win this game. It's just about how much that's kind of what it comes down to. All right. Well, let's find out where your head's at. The 1-0 Bills take on the 0-1 Tennessee Titans. It's prediction time, Luca. What happens, who wins, and by how much? So my preseason, and I'll lead it off this way, my preseason 
just to kind of kick it back into this, was the Bills winning 31-17, and it wouldn't be that close. Maybe the Titans got a late touchdown there or something. I'm going to say the Bills are going to win. Wow, what a reach. Uh, The Bills are going to win, but I want to say that we're going to put up 34, but the Titans are going to put up 20. I'm just going to put it there. I think Derrick Henry's going to just, he's going to break one, right? You would imagine they're going to at least get one decent offensive drive. They're, they're going to be able to, maybe it's the scripted plays, whatever it may be. They saw something on tape that they thought they could exploit early on against the Bills defense. I don't know. They eventually end that in a touchdown. And then Derrick Henry's probably going to break one. Like it, odds are he's going to do it. It's almost like Derrick Henry against the Jags on Thursday night football. He's always good for two touchdowns in that game. And guess what? He's probably going to break one against us. I'm just going to plan like he is not. So I'm, you know, maybe I'll be excited next week or, you know, come tomorrow night or tonight. If you're listening to it on Monday that Derrick Henry didn't break one, but I'll plan on it. I'll say 34, 20 bills, but also it's a little close. Let's say it was 27, 20 until the bills separate with a touchdown late with four minutes to go or something. And it created that scoreline. So that's kind of where my head's at now. So we're going to wind up around the same spot, but I think we're going to get there a little bit different. I have the Bills winning this football game 37 to 20. And the only difference Ooh. is I have the Titans actually down 37 to 13 and getting a garbage time touchdown to make it look closer for optics. I just, you know, I, I put the tweet out from our account. I don't see a lot of paths for the Titans. I understand Settle. I understand Oliver. I understand Gabe Davis popped up after that tweet went out doesn't change my position on this game. The Bills are the better football team. They're better on offense. They're better on defense. They are home. That place is going to be rocking. This is not like when the LA Rams have a home game and that half of the stadium is going for the road team. It is going to be 90 to 95% Bills fans there, and they are going to be loud. They are going to be proud. And every player on that Bills team that played against the Titans last year knows this is a team that you cannot sleep on. And I do think that... What happened on the out-of-town scoreboard that we're going to get into today is going to have the Bills at least recognizing the fact, knowing that they gave away a game last year to Jacksonville that cost them home field, they can't be giving games away. I think you saw them super focused last week against the um, the Rams. I think they're going to come out on more rest than the Titans. They're going to come out and, and dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I think Devin Singletary gets in the end zone. I think he has a very nice game. I'd like to see James Cook be involved. Not as confident there that that happens. I think Stefan Diggs certainly gets his. Give me a big Dawson Knox game too on offense. And I do think Von Miller gets himself another sack or two in this game. I think he's going to be one of those players that especially when the lights are on, he's going to come through for this team. The Bills win a comfortable game, uh, maybe a little uncomfortable for like the first quarter. And we're all like, oh no, here we go again. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we have Josh Allen. They don't boom, boom, boom. And the Bills are an avalanche team. It doesn't take much to get that ball rolling and they can just avalanche you out of a game. Colin Cowherd talks about it all the time. The Bills either lose a close game or they blow you out. The Bills are going to blow you out at hope that as this season goes on, they're going to find a way to win some of those close games. I don't think they're going to get that opportunity tomorrow night against the Titans. I think the Bills are going to win and win pretty handily. All right, Luca, let's talk about the out-of-town scoreboard because it was a wild day in the NFL today. And let's start with the team that the Bills are going to see next week. And let's start off with the fact that the next time you hear Luca in my voice, it'll be after the Bills-Dolphins game in week three. Because of the way that we upload on Mondays, obviously we're doing a Titans preview this week, but we will be doing a Dolphins post-game show next week. 
So while we're not going to sit here and break down the Dolphins game, it doesn't make sense to do with a Titans game still there. It does help us that we have a Dolphins game to talk about from today. And they had, Luca, a wild game against the Ravens. Uh, wild is an understatement. That was something else. I There was a lot that happened in that game, and we don't need to break down everything like we would in a post game for the Bills, but the Ravens basically had that game. I mean, let's let's not fool ourselves. It it felt like blowout city early on. I mean, it's it's amazing how it basically starts off. Ravens return touchdown. Boom. Here we go. We're going crazy here. And then, you know, the Dolphins were okay. Jalen Waddle got going early, but other than that, nothing special. Ravens, though, early on, Lamar looked like that MVP Lamar. He was running all over. He was throwing very well. Um, but then just something happened where they couldn't pull away. They just couldn't, they couldn't really put the foot on the throat and just end it. And crazy things started happening on the defensive side of the ball for the Ravens or the offensive side of the ball, the, of the dolphins. And you had things like we discussed off air where a rookie corner without overtop help is lined up one-on-one on Tyreek Hill, who the Ravens had at that point done a decent job bracketing him, doing whatever they could to limit his you know, ability to take over the game and bang Tyreek Hill did Tyreek Hill things hit you over top, just killed that corner who was flat footed and it's a 14 point game. And then boom, Tyreek hits you over top again. It's a seven point game. And look, Bill's fans out there might want to say all they want about Tua and do whatever they want to do to Finn's fans. Tua looked great today. He, he really did. Tua played a very good game today and came up big for them when they really needed him to get back into this game and then ultimately win this game. Tua did a great job in this Miami offense to come back and ultimately ultimately take this from Baltimore. I wish I could, uh, no, I wish the Ravens would have won. Ultimately, I was rooting for the Ravens. I feel like a lot of people out there were rooting for the Ravens, but I was impressed with the Dolphins. I was impressed with what happened, and I was shocked at what the Ravens let happen when you compare the first half and the second half. It was night and day. I'm not trying to discredit the Dolphins when I say that because, again, Tua stepped up, that offense stepped up, they made it happen. But I am shocked that the Ravens let it happen as well. Like it was just like they, it seemed like they had the game plan figured out by halftime. Like it seemed like it was going well for them. And why would they change anything and just keep it going? But something clearly happened that just, I don't know if it was foot off the gas. I don't know what it was, but man, you should not be letting that happen. Not at home. Not when you're the Ravens, not when when you had a game plan working out where Jalen Waddle was beating you here and there up and down the field, but he wasn't breaking the game open. But then you let the one guy for Miami just make bust that thing open wide. And it it was an avalanche for the Ravens that they just did not see coming or they put themselves in the situation of and in the path of and just killed themselves doing it. It was nuts. 35 to 10, the Dolphins outscored the Ravens in the second half. An unbelievable game for Tua, who had 469 yards and six touchdowns. Luca and I fully understand the Ravens had injuries at cornerback. Kyle Fuller's out. We understand that there's injuries to guys who are even on the field. We understand everything that the Ravens defense was up against. At the end of the day, 469 yards in the NFL and six touchdowns is impressive. 
And if you want to say, well, they had injuries there, you should light them up. He did more than light them up. Six touchdowns. There are going to be days, I predict, where we are going to be able to laugh at Tua and say, see, this is your great quarterback. This is not that day. And it it makes you, I don't want to lecture anybody, do whatever you want with your fandom. I I, I think that people that lecture in, in these kind of scenarios can kind of sound a little obnoxious, but I'll just, I'll just give everybody a little piece of advice. We all got annoyed when Josh Allen was on his ascension, when people would be like, oh yeah, but let's look at the one incomplete pass in the second quarter and ignore the four touchdowns. Don't be the person that sticks to your original opinion that can't admit when the person is doing well. Tua played well today. He played very well today. Um, is this, does this mean he's going to be able to do it game over game like the great ones do? I don't personally think so, but if you're a Dolphins fan out there listening, first of all, thank you. You're welcome to enemy, enemy territory, but we welcome all listeners. This was an exciting day for you, and your quarterback pulled your team out of a game that they had no business winning. Another AFC East rival, Luca, had a wild finish. The New York Jets and Joe Flacco, 31-30 to victory over the Cleveland Browns. We don't need to spend too much time on this. I will tell you, the Browns did everything possible to lose this game. It started with the Browns having the ball. Um, let's, I'm going to try to figure out the math here. They would have been up by definitely two scores, and Nick Chubb goes in for a touchdown. And if Nick Chubb just goes down at the one-yard line, the Browns can kneel it out, and they win the game. Obviously, that's not Nick Chubb's fault, but then they score. The Jets go out. Garrett Wilson Oh no, this would have been Corey Davis wide open down the field. Nobody covers him in a situation where you know that the Jets are going to go deep. The Jets get a touchdown. Then they recover the onsides kick, which never happens in the NFL in 2022. And then Flacco goes down and finds Garrett Wilson for the game winning touchdown. Luca, I don't think this is any kind of like, oh, now we have to fear the Jets kind of thing. I, I think this is much more of a cool moment. And if anything, a very painful loss for a Browns team that was flying high after a big win last week. Um, but if you're a Jets fan, hey, you haven't had a lot of moments to smile in the last five or six years. This was a cool moment. It was. It was. And I'm also going to say uh, thank you, New York Jets, for winning me some money today. Hmm. I am very happy that you pulled that one out. Um, I'll just say, yeah, it was a fun game to watch. It was it wasn't impressive early. You know, Nick Chubb was running well. I think he finished with three scores on the day. It was either two or three. He was doing well, but yeah, the Browns just let the Jets back in and ultimately let them win that game. And it was cool. It was cool to see. It was fun to see. It's one of those games that whatever that could be a big loss for the Browns if they were to do whatever they can later on before Deshaun comes back. That's a big time loss that you definitely chalked up as a win initially for them. Um, they kind of got what they got for the fans doing what they do, apparently in Cleveland with their tailgating and what they like to display. I'll just put that out there real quick. Hundred percent, I'm with you. But that's what you get. Um, but uh, overall, fun game. Good for the Jets. Uh, sucks for the Browns. Is what it is. Love to see it. It was good football. It was good. It was some good fun football. The wildest game of the day probably took place in Vegas, where the Raiders Oof. went out to a twenty point lead only to see the Arizona Cardinals fight all the way back and win 29 to 23 in overtime. Luca, my biggest takeaway from this game was two words. Kyler Murray in the first half, it was like, uh-oh, <laughs> is Kyler Murray falling off? Is, is, are they going to have buyer's remorse? And then in the second half, it's like, whoa, 
This is the guy who they paid the money to, who when he is on is unstoppable. I know you were particularly locked into this game. What would you like to say about what you saw transpire, particularly in the second half and overtime? The tale of two halves of myself watching that game was first half. How do we trade Kyler Murray and his rights to the A's? Can we just pay for their team salary in addition for them to take him off our books? Um, second half was, I still hate everything he did, but holy crap. Yeah. I mean, the, the two point conversion where he runs around for 20.8 seconds, ultimately to run it in on the left side was just, that is Kyler Murray. That is Kyler Murray just making unbelievably something out of nothing. It was, the play was dead to rights. You know, the Raiders did what they did and they dropped back. It was either seven or eight, just in the end zone, blanket coverage everywhere and just kind of loosely wanted to try to contain Kyler. The thing is, there is no containing a little bugger like Kyler just scrambling around, running in circles until eventually, look, you're going to leave a left or right side open. And then boom, he is very quick and shifty to be able to put that in. Um, the, <laughs> the only thing I'll also take out of this, all those betters out there, I am still trying to recover from the incredible heart, heart attack I had from that ending the amount of swing on the over under and the cards covering and all of that kind of stuff and all the emotions that were going into that unbelievable. And Byron Murphy literally almost threw it away on us. Just a crazy great game, crazy ending. Kyler, I still am not happy with how you handled your off season, but thank you. Thank you for everything and actually caring in the second half. It seemed like, cause yeah, that first half was disgusting and pitiful. I think, uh, Every one of my friends, at least one of them for sure that I can recall said it multiple times, you know, does he bring his Xbox on road trips? First off, he's a PC player. He's not an Xbox guy. No, that's let's important. Just, yeah. let's, let's get that straight here. But um, uh, yeah, no, it, that first half made you question it. But the second half, he made up for it. And some he balled out. He, you know, did everything he could in his power. Um, also, AJ Green is just sad to see at this point in his career like dude can you please hold on to a ball can you actually do something useful it's it's quite hard uh marquise brown shout out to you you almost had the biggest drop of your career uh catch the damn ball um and byron murphy thank you for staying in bounds thank you for scooping and thank you for not throwing away the game when you almost did uh let's stop throwing hashtag let's please stop throwing the damn there's a long hashtag let's screw this, this is a really long uh, hashtag stop, stop players stop throwing the fucking ball away at the damn goal line get <laughs> 10 steps past the goal line please for the love of god do not make that go to booth <laughs> review holy crap that hashtag is definitely longer than 240 characters um okay so the raiders fall into an interesting bucket luca they are a team that you and I both, you specifically had high hopes for heading into this off season or this season. Um, they made the aggressive trade to get Devontae Adams and they start off. Oh, and two, another team that started off. Oh, and two, and we're just going to take some quick hitters around the league. Now the Cincinnati Bengals, the defending AFC champion Bengals, they lost. I think you want to talk about a team that I think has lost two stinkers. They played at home against Mitch Trubisky and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then they go to play Dallas Cooper rush and the Dallas Cowboys. So one guy who shouldn't be a starting quarterback in the league, one guy who's not a starting quarterback in the league, just playing for Dak Prescott and the Bengals are Owen two. And then you talk about another team will throw into the mix, even though they're not technically Owen two, because they tied last week, the Indianapolis Colts 24 to nothing lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars today to fall to Oh, one and one. And Luca, we loved the Colts this offseason. We were high on them. 
The main reason we were high on them is how easy their division is. And now they're two games in two division games don't have a win to show for it. If you had to rank so far this season, Luca, the Colts, the Bengals and the Raiders one, who's most disappointing and two, who do you have the most confidence in turning it around? And if it's, if there's multiple answers to either, just take that however you want. So even with how high I was on the Raiders, which by the way, has just disappeared in my belief, uh, even though I was as high as I was, mm-hmm. the Colts are by far the most disappointing team. And it's, it's mainly because if it wasn't for a really good fourth quarter, they're easily 0-2 and 0-2 in a bad way. Like just two horrible games against, as you put it, two divisional foes that were the winnable teams in your division. Like the Titans will call not winnable just because they are a competitive team, at least when you compare them to the Jags and the uh, Texans. Yeah, the Colts are just, I mean, watching Matt Ryan, like I thought the Colts would get good play or better play out of Matt Ryan comparative to Carson Wentz. If I'm a Colts fan, I'm almost wishing that Carson Wentz didn't leave. I mean, his ineffectiveness in that offense is alarming at best. Like it is, holy crap, what are we doing? There was a pick today. I want to say it was a pick. It was either an incomplete pass or a pick because it was so bad. I remember watching it going, what the hell is Matt Ryan doing? Like it was, it was like he was trying to do a Carson Wentz impersonation, Mm -hmm. but he's not as, as he's not as athletic as Carson Wentz. So of course it looked even worse. It was like, oh my goodness, the Jacksonville curse for the Colts is real. Um, I was saying this to a friend. I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, first and foremost, the Bengals I'm least concerned about, um, look, Joe Burrow had his surgery. Um, he clearly came in with some rust that offensive line needs to get it shit together. They put a lot of money into it and it looks 10 times worse than it was last year. And that was a big weakness for them last season. Um, the Raiders are definitely in down there, but they also lost to the Cardinals who do have Kyler Murray. And then they lost to the chargers who are Herbert in a very big improvement on their roster as well. So look, it sucks that they're 0 two, but they can turn it around. Those are games that they definitely could be seen to have lost. Um, but with the Colts, I was saying this to a friend to bring it back to my last point. Jim Ursay is an emotional owner and he wants to win and he wants winners. And he has been on record saying how embarrassed and disappointed he was with Reich on convincing him to trade for Wentz and do what they did to bring him in and make that one year experiment a failure in his eyes. And then they got rid of him. He was embarrassed even more so by that week 18 disaster in Jacksonville and how awful that game looks. And now I believe Frank Reich was going into the season on the hot seat and on thin ice. He has embarrassed the Colts in an unbelievable fashion that no one saw coming. And I'm just going to say this now, and I was saying it to my friend, I can easily see a world where by the time this podcast even posts, Jim Ursay has fired Frank Reich. He is pro- he is a guy that doesn't take shit, and this is a team that he expected to take the next step compared to last season, and they have taken five steps backwards. It looks horrible. Their defense does not look up to the snuff. They're without their leader and that you know a beast in Shaquille Leonard, but still, they're without him. And then Matt Ryan, who is supposed to give them an improvement, looks like he is unable to run an NFL offense right now. It's a disaster. So... I mean, look, do I actually genuinely think he's going to be fired by the time this podcast release? No, I could see it happening this week. I could see it happening very, very soon. Ultimately, if I'm a Colts fan right now, 
I am up the wall pissed off with what's going on with this team because it is nothing but tougher matchups coming up. And if that's the kind of performance you put out there against the Jags and the Texans, I mean, if you were to play the Bills, it would be a disaster, I feel like, at this point. I mean, you would have to throw the towel. Like, it would just be a bloodbath. And that, I look, I'm sorry, Indy fans. This stinks for you. This really stinks for you. I mean, you were without weapons. All the excuses in the book about today, I don't care. You got blown out by the Jack. You got shut out by the Jacksonville Jaguars, who actually lost to, oh, I don't know, Carson Wentz in a comeback the previous week while on his new team. Embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. Now, look, the Colts are a team that is near and dear to my heart because uh, my nephew and my brother-in-law and my sister are Colts fans. So, like, all things being equal, I root for the Colts just because I want to see them happy. Um, that's where it ends. Like, I'm certainly never going to root for the Colts in a situation that would hurt the Bills. Um, but I keep an extra close eye on them because of that. And my nephew actually came over today to watch the game with me uh, because the fact that the DirecTV app was not working, the Sunday Ticket app, and that's a whole other conversation we're not going to get into. Um, and I was talking to him about Reich, and Reich is a hard conversation to have, right? Because he he's such a hero to our listening audience. He's that guy that led the greatest comeback in Bill's history. He, he was always like the cool backup quarterback, the normal mature quarterback when Jim Kelly was kind of like wild doing his own thing. Like Reich was like the steady hand who would come in and you always felt good about. He has been a disaster as a head coach. And you bring up a great point about Jim Ursay. The Colts were in the hard knocks, the first ever hard knocks during the season last year. And they were in the locker room filming it when Reich gave his speech after the loss to Jacksonville. So if you weren't familiar with it, the Colts, all they had to do to make the playoffs last year was win a game in Jacksonville. And Jacksonville was the worst team in the league record-wise. And the Colts went there and lost the game. And they didn't make the playoffs. And what ended up happening was Frank Reich was in there and he was giving a speech. And Jim Ursay, you know, looked like he had seen a ghost. And I just remember watching his face during that speech. And it looked like he wanted to cry. And, you know, owners, they're spending the money. And Luca brought up like, hey, we got you, Philip Rivers. We, you know, Andrew Luck retired. That is a, that is a loss. Like you're not expecting that. You don't make the playoffs the year Andrew Luck retires. Everybody could understand why that, that is a huge thing for a coach to overcome. We went out, we got you, Philip Rivers. You made the playoffs and lost. Haven't won a playoff game under Frank Reich. We went out and got you Carson Wentz, traded for Carson Wentz because you told us to bring you Carson Wentz. You don't even make the playoffs because you can't beat Jacksonville. And now we eat the contract on Carson Wentz. We go out and trade for another quarterback in Matt Ryan. And now we're 0-2. And, and I'm going to co-sign with everything. Lucas said he was out there turtling in the sacks. And we don't want to turn this into a Colts show. I think with um, the Colts, I'm with you. I, I think it would not be a surprise if Reich doesn't survive the season. By the way, their next game is against the Kansas City Chiefs. Good luck with that. Um, the Bengals, I have probably the most confidence in turning it around. One, because all of the AFC North lost today um, and the Bengals, I do believe in having the talent. I think they absolutely should have won week one against Pittsburgh. It was just one of those weird games where they turned the ball over and missed some chip shot field goals, lost their long snapper today. I can't really say what happened. Micah Parsons took the game over. I think they're probably going to kick themselves for this one, too. I believe they will turn it around, but I am with you, Luca. They overhauled their offensive line this offseason, and now it looks like their overhauled offensive line needs an overhaul of its own. Um, the Colts, the one saving grace they have, if you want to bring this back to a Titans conversation, is their division is still very weak. 
And I don't believe that the Jaguars or the Texans are going to go out there and win eight or nine games this year. I think the Titans are going to fall to 0-2 tomorrow night. And so the Colts, as bad as it looks right now, are still a half a game out of first place in their division, two games in. So you may only have to win seven or eight games to win this division, which is wild, but it's why this team will probably stick around if they can just figure it out. All right, Luca, quickly, anything else stand out to you on the out-of-town scoreboard today? Um, no, I mean, we don't really need to talk about the awfulness. That was the Steelers Patriots game. Patriots get that win. And that was just an ugly, ugly game. Uh, I mean, the Rams, like it looked like a close game. I'm sure someone, you know, others out there watched it, but who felt, I mean, they just let their foot off the gas. We definitely, you know, Look, you can't let your foot off the gas. That's the lesson from that game. I really, though, was hoping that the Falcons would ultimately reverse the 28 to three curse. There was a point. It was in the third quarter. They were down 28 to three. And all of a sudden things started happening where the rape or the Falcons were finding themselves back into the game and it was becoming competitive. And I just thought to myself, holy shit, this is how it happens. This is how the Falcons finally stopped losing all those games by coming back in one of them. Didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> anticlimactic there, but um, no, overall, I mean, they are what they are. The one thing I will say is people need to stop with the Broncos. Oh, yes. Holy crap. Yes, that's where I was going to go. The Broncos are rough. I am not a believer in that coach. I can't even think of his name right Nathaniel now. Nathaniel Hackett, former Hackett. offensive Thank coordinator you. here. Thank you, Nathaniel Hackett. Um, and Russell Wilson is, look, he is no longer in the conversation of elite quarterback, period. End of story. It's done. He, w- he was a very good quarterback. He had his day. He is on the downturn, folks. And that team needed a elite quarterback to kind of carry it to the place that people thought they were going to be. They're not going to be there. If you still think the Broncos have a chance of winning that division, you are crazy. Not gonna, I, The Raiders at 0-2 have a better chance of winning that division far and away than the Broncos at 1-1 right now. But it, like, if anyone wants to bet me, at me, you know, Luca M six, throw your money down. We're doing this. I would, I would almost even say that the Raiders are going to finish at least a game better than the Broncos. You want to bet it at me? Come on, bring the action because yeah, those, the Broncos stink. I don't want to overreact two games into the season, but I will tell you one thing I'm feeling like is this murderers row AFC West. We talked about all off season. I think it's going to just come down to the chargers and chiefs again. I just, I, I don't, I don't feel it with the Raiders. I I like a lot of their roster. I see the things you see in their roster, Luca, which I think is why you were high on them. I do believe Josh McDaniels is going to be good this time around. Derek Carr to me, I want to love him. I, when he, when he's on, you, you almost can like squint your eyes and see Aaron Rodgers, the way he moves, the way he can throw with velocity, the way he can throw from different arm angles. But man, he there is a clutch gene missing from that player. He just, to me, does not come up big in the big spot. And yes, the Cardinals had a very exciting win today. But when you come back, a lot of things go into a comeback. Yes, Kyler Murray was great. That could have all been shut down if the Raiders go out and score points against the Cardinals defense and the Cardinals defense shut them down in the second half. And that should not be happening when your offense has Devonte Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr, Josh McDaniels calling the plays. Something is wrong there. Um, I'm with you hundred percent on the Broncos. There's they're a mess. There's a hilarious like three minute video on Twitter of a sequence where 
Um, they run a trick play that doesn't work out. Then they go to kick a field goal and they take a delay a game. And then the, the crowd is actually like counting down the play clock for them because they keep, I mean, that is hilarious that the crowd was actually like, Hey, we'll count down the play clock for you because we don't want you to take a delay a game. Uh, one other storyline I want to mention Luca really quick beca- because it just, you hate to see it. Um, the 49ers did beat the Seahawks today, but um, second year quarterback Trey Lance looks to be out for the year with an ankle injury. Just absolutely hate to see that a player with all the talent in the world. And this was going to be his year to really prove whether he was or wasn't the guy uh, we talked about last week that the, the Niners made a curious decision to keep Jimmy Garoppolo. And now sitting here today, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is anything great, but they're like the only team in football that could withstand their starting quarterback going down and still have championship aspirations. And here we are, their starting quarterback went down and the Niners still have championship aspirations. So maybe there was Luca and method behind the Garoppolo madness. No, 100%. Uh, the living room that is mine had, and I was, I think I was the leader of preaching this, but I, I know our buddy shout out Nino was kind of laughing and agreeing. Like it's, it's written in the stars. This is when the Niners go on a run and go to back to the Super Bowl. This is what happens. This is look, people stories happen story. You know, I don't, I'm not saying they're going to win it. Cause if they run into our bills, uh, I like our chances, but I mean, this if the is bills the lose to Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl, <laughs> oh, I yeah. will be, go ahead. I'd be sick. <laughs> You're good. Um, everyone's talking about how can you possibly, you know, have Jimmy G still sitting there behind Trey Lance. You trying to develop him, commit, commit to the bit, do one or the other. Right. And now all of a sudden the unfortunate circumstance, I think it was Dan Orlovsky. He put out a tweet like now because of this, he still has now he's going to go into three years without a meaningful stretch of football games played. That's really bad for a guy's development that that you feel so bad for someone with so much promise. And like, clearly the team wants him to be good. They traded all their assets. They committed to him. They basically told Jimmy G, a quarterback that brought them to a Super Bowl and two or three NFC championship games. Can't remember. Um, Hey, buddy, take a back seat because we're going to let this rookie come in who we're still trying to work out, figure it out live and on the spot. And, you know. It sucks, man. Like I liked Trey Lance. I didn't like love him, but I liked him. I liked everything about him. I liked what he, if he develops what he could become. This is an injury in a circumstance now where, as I said, Dan Rolofsky pointed it out three years without meaningful football. And this is a serious injury that could stunt something in his abilities now. Where is he ever going to become something? Like it, it is a real conversation piece now where this could be an injury that could alter his career path going forward in a major way that you just, I don't care for the Niners. I personally hate the Niners as an organization, but I still feel bad for Niners fans. Look, you have Jimmy G coming in. So your Super Bowl aspirations haven't really changed in my mind for this season, but in the future with how many assets you committed to a guy like Trey Lance, this sucks for you. And I, I, I genuinely feel bad. You hate to see it. You hate to see, you want to see a guy get a chance to prove he belongs or prove he doesn't belong and to have it taken away from him because of an injury is just very disappointing. I agree with you. I think this will probably be Trey Lance's. I don't think it's going to be his last chance, but man, it's going to be hard for him to come back from this. Let's just round out the out of town scoreboard very quickly. Brian Dable's giants improved a two and 19 to 16 victory over the Carolina Panthers. Tom Brady's Buccaneers get the two and with a 20 to 10 win over the new Orleans saints. Mike Evans and Marcus Lattimore were ejected in that game. And finally the 
that is actually all oh, the chargers and the chiefs played on thursday and the chiefs improve to two and oh all right luca the next time we talk the bills will have two games done they will have played the tennessee titans and they will have played the miami dolphins any final thoughts before we get out of here no, I mean, hopefully the next time we get to bless everyone's ears with our wonderful voices, we will be able to discuss a game about Miami that went in a positive fashion for us. It's going to be an exciting game. I'm look, I'm not looking ahead past the Titans at all. Like, I'm very excited. I'm going to be at this Titans game. I know of a lot of people, of course, that are going to be at this game. Um, I don't know what section I'm sitting in. It's my bud seasons. I, I cannot remember lower bowl visitor side. I'm going to be going up there. I'm going to be uh, hyped up. I'm probably going to be tailgating from the early afternoon. Unfortunately, day jobs get in the way from you being able to drink all weekend. What a damn shame. Um, but I will be riled up. I know everyone else is going to be riled up. I'm pumped for Tennessee, but then I'm pumped for that Miami game in a week, right? I'm, I am excited to see this juiced up new look Miami team have to come up against the foe and Josh Allen and see if Josh Allen can make him or see if he can make Oh, whatever. Josh Allen's Miami's daddy. That's the point I'm trying to get over here. And hopefully that trend continues. Look, respect to the Dolphins, respect to everything they did, but that's going to be a very exciting game. I'm excited for that episode, of course. And when we get to talk about it and excited to see what happens again, Monday night against the Titans, I'm hyped to be there. Bill's mafia is going to be a rocking and I'm going to be juiced up alongside all of them. We will be back on the air next week, breaking down everything that happened in the Miami game. If you are looking for analysis on the game, I encourage you to check out our Twitter, Bill's Chat Pod. We'll be tweeting factoids out about the Dolphins, matchups we like, matchups we don't like. We are very active on Twitter, and we'll be doing tons of research on this game. So while we don't have a podcast to preview the game, we will certainly be putting out a lot of analysis on Twitter. We also encourage you to keep it locked onto the built-in Buffalo Podcast Network as we will get you ready for this Bills-Dolphins game and Luca and I will be back next Monday to hopefully talk about the 3-0 Buffalo Bills. Until then, we'll see you next time on Bills Chat.